Welcome to Timothy Eden Memorial Church, a place for life. Connect, participate, celebrate. Good morning, everyone. Happy Easter. The resurrection of Jesus is the reason we're here. It's the reason there is something called Christianity at all. Without Easter, all things are lost. With Easter, all things are possible. Now, I greeted you with happy Easter, but the first Christians had a particular Easter way of greeting one another. You heard it in our responsive reading earlier. One would say, Christ is risen, and the other would say, He is risen indeed. Can you do that with me? Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Well done. Outstanding. He must really be raised. Now, let's ratchet the difficulty level up a knot. The, le- the language that the first Christians spoke, many of them, was Greek. It's the language the New Testament is in. And in that original greeting, I would say, Christos anesthe, and you would respond, Alethos anesthe. Think you can do that? I'll say, Christos anesthe, you'll say, Alethos anesthe. You ready? Christos anesthe. Christos anesthe. Christos anesthe. Christ is risen. Now you know what it's like to speak in tongues. Well done. We've been in a series at this church since January on the book of Exodus. It ends today. Next week we start a new series called, That's in the Bible? About some of the strangest and weirdest and most overlooked portions of our scriptures. But since it's Easter... Let me read the strangest, the weirdest story we have from Mark chapter 16. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome brought spices so they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had just risen, they went to the tomb. They'd been saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us at the entrance to the tomb? When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled back. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side. They were alarmed, but he said to them, do not be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is not here. He is raised. Look, there is the place they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee, just as he told you. So they went out and fled from the tomb. Terror and amazement had seized them. They said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. That's the first Easter kind of a modest affair. No horn section, no Easter egg hunt, no magnificent hats, no lilies, no chocolates, no bunnies, no church yet. Just an empty tomb, a man in a white robe, not even told he's an angel. The women flee and say nothing. You can understand why they're afraid. I mean, if death isn't final, what else is uncertain? 
The church has traditionally read the story of the crossing of the Red Sea as part of our Easter celebrations. As they say in the black church, in both Exodus and Easter, God makes a way where there is no way. God makes a way where there is no way. Theologian I admire says, God is whoever raised Israel from Egypt and Jesus from the dead. God is a verb. God is the raising one for whom slavery and death are not the end. They're just a pause. Tombs only have a front door. There's no back way out. And there's a boulder in front of that tomb. No one can move. There is no way. At the first exodus, the newly freed slaves have a great sea in front, the world's greatest army behind. There is nothing to do but die. There is no way. Until Moses raises a hand and the sea starts to move and then the people start to move. And our faith sees split. And graves are just the beginning. Now be careful with this. Neither the Exodus nor Easter are the end. They're just the beginning. The Exodus is the start of the Israelites going out and wandering in the wilderness on the way to the promised land. Easter is the start of resurrection life. It's not the finish. God is planning to raise every molecule, just as surely as God raised Jesus. I mean, the women thought Jesus not being dead anymore was terrifying. What about when everything is resurrected and the whole world made new? Historians say these songs in Exodus may be some of the oldest parts of our Bible. As literate people, you and I trust the written text. But that's because of the Reformation. It was the Reformation that said everyone should learn to read. We should make church like school. We should have everyone sit in rows. We should have someone lecture from the front. But this is a Reformation thing. Non-literate people think differently. They trust the story or the song performed rather than written down. That's what Grandma first taught around the fire when I was little. It's what we celebrate in worship. And Exodus 15 is mostly song, liturgy, praise. Poetry is not decoration. It's original speech. And the Jewish people probably first set this story to paper in exile in Babylon. Yeah, there was another people that enslaved us once, Egypt. How'd that work out for them? There's a people that's enslaving us now. Babylon, how's that going to work out for them? So this writing down is hundreds of years after the event. But don't worry, those are hundreds of years of trust. It's not like that game telephone that you play in youth group, right? Where everyone sits in a circle and somebody says something like Tom Selleck. And it goes around the circle, everyone repeating it, and it comes back. They have toupees on sale down the street. It's not like that. When this story is performed in song and worship, we remember it because it's the story Grandma loved. And you can trust that way of telling 
a story. This is a saga that makes a people. The prophet Miriam, Moses and Aaron's sister, takes up a tambourine and hands them around, and the women sing and dance. This might be the oldest line in the whole Bible. Sing to the Lord. He has triumphed gloriously. Horse and rider, he is thrown into the sea. Miriam is a Hebrew name. Its Greek equivalent is Mary. Miriam's successor and namesake, Mary of Nazareth, knows what to do when God brings revolution. She sings, my soul glorifies the Lord. Miriam and sisters sing at the shore of the Red Sea. Mary of Nazareth sings when God births a whole new world through her untouched womb. Mary Magdalene, another Miriam, and her sisters see the first evidence of the resurrection, but they don't sing yet. They don't know the song. We in the church know the song, Christ is risen. You can do better. Christ is risen. Songs are sturdy. They make us who we are. Now, Israel doesn't like the sea very much. There are ancient peoples who take to the sea like fish. The Phoenicians tell stories of great seafaring exploits. And the Greeks have stories of conquest at sea and trade and island hopping. But in Israel, the sea is full of monsters and you go there to drown. The flood is the ultimate terror. The whole world, nothing but sea. And the great sea story in the Old Testament is Jonah. Uses the sea to escape from God, gets thrown overboard, and swallowed by a fish. The worst nightmare. Jesus walks on the sea to say, hey, I can tame your worst terror. And in Revelation, we're promised in the city of God, the sea will be no more. Sorry, surfers, sailors, beachgoers, the Bible is not your book. So the sea is the worst thing. It's in front. The soldiers behind are comparably less scary. There is no way. But who made the sea in the first place? If God made the sea, God can undo the sea. The sea is there like a bathtub in front of God and God pulls the plug and it circles down the drain. And old people and tiny babies and sick people and animals stroll where the sea was, away, out of no way. There's no way out of death either, is there? Corny jokes about the only sure things in life being death and taxes, happy tax season to all who celebrate. I was on campus at the U of T recently and found myself looking at the class photos from the 1800s. All white men, of course, in really impressive suits, chest stuck out, top hats, very strange facial hair. And you can't not wonder about their lives. Which one succeeded? Which one died disappointed? Which one turned out to be a scoundrel? Which one turned out to love Jesus? You can't tell by looking at pictures. But then you wonder, which one died first? Which one carried on the longest? It hardly matters now. They're all gone. And just like them, 
someday someone will look at our picture and say, huh, look how funny they look. No, I got no idea who they are. (laughs) That's just what it means to be alive. Here's what Easter says. Death is not the end. In fact, it's only the beginning. There is a back door to that tomb that Jesus blows open with his resurrection. For he is risen, but he is not the last one to be raised. One day, we'll all be raised, just as certainly as he is. And not just us, but every Adam God bothered to create in the first place. If creation was good enough for God to love it into being at the beginning, creation is good enough for God to love it into new being at the end. And that's why we celebrate Easter. It's about Jesus, but it's not just about Jesus. It's about us, but it's not just about us. It's about everything that's ever lived that God is planning to blow life into once again. And that's worth an hallelujah or two, wouldn't you say? There's an Easter tradition I love. It's called Holy Saturday. Most know about Good Friday, day before yesterday. Although at our Good Friday walk, there were several hundred of us walking from the two Catholic parishes, meeting in the middle for worship. Lots of our neighbors don't know about Good Friday. They were honking and angry, like I would have been if it was some other religion blocking me. And so they would say, what's going on? And we said, Good Friday. And a lot of them said, what's that? We have a lot of work to do, church. Now, Easter, you know, that's why you're here. Life overcomes death, swallows it up, annihilates it. But what's in between Friday and Sunday? What happens for those roughly 36 hours where Jesus is dead? The creed says he descended into hell. What's he doing there? Differing traditions about that, as you might expect from the church. For some, that's the lowest level of his suffering. Wherever there is any suffering, Jesus plunges to that place to save. Although after Friday, it's hard to imagine hell being much worse than his cross. For some, it's the beginning of his exaltation. He's in hell, liberating the place. He's making a raid on it, taking everyone with him who'll go. And the people whose hands he's holding on the way to life are Adam and Eve. Another tradition says Jesus is looking everywhere for his lost friend, Judas. C.S. Lewis says no one is in hell involuntarily. To be in hell is to sit in a jail cell with the gate wide open, refusing to leave. Because Jesus breaks all the locks on Holy Saturday. There's a way. You're just not taking it. For most of us, our imagination of the afterlife is that there's a heaven for the good people, a hell for the bad people. Here's what the gospel actually says. There are no good or bad people. There are only sinners who've been forgiven, who know about it, and sinners who've been forgiven, who don't know about it. Heaven is for those sinners glad to receive mercy. Hell is for those sinners 
who think they don't need mercy. No, 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 I'm good. I'm good enough. No thanks. Keep your forgiveness, please. I like my jail cell. And Jesus is Lord in both places. Wherever there is misery, there is also Jesus bringing life and resurrection. No hell is safe from grace. Never will be again. My favorite movie makers are Ethan and Joel Cohen. I don't really understand why the Cohen brothers understand Christianity, these two secular Jews, so much better than anyone else in Hollywood, but that's the way God works. They have a series of short films called The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, all westerns, and in one, a man survives a hanging. James Franco's character robs a bank, frontier justice, they go to hang him, and just as they do, a battle breaks out with Comanches, and one of their bullets severs the rope, and he survives. It's Hollywood. Give them a break. Now, later, Franco is on another gallows. He has not exactly seized this opportunity for a second chance. The man to be hanged beside him sobs, and Franco turns to him with a casual look and says, oh, first time? I think the writer must have started with that idea. How do we get someone on the gallows the second time acting cool and casual about it? As Christians, we've all died before. We were nailed to that cross with Jesus. We passed through the Red Sea with our baptism. We'll face death again, short time or long, pleasant or not. And when we do, we can say, oh, you're back. That must mean Christ is coming to liberate me soon and all the rest of creation. I've noticed in my own life some of my best successes have come after defeat was assured. The worst has happened. Now I can relax. No need to white-knuckle things. We've already lost. Let's exhale and do our best. You know how a sports team, once it's safely out of the playoffs, can relax, play well, and even start winning. Do you know anything about that, Leafs fans? (laughs) Our culture still thinks it can ward off death. Maybe we can beat death with exercise or chemicals. No, surgery. How about diet or all-natural food or computers? We can upload ourselves and they'll download us in the future. None of it works. Death still comes. Here's the good news. Death's Victories are temporary. They're illusory because life comes too. The one who blows a hole in his own grave knows where all our graves are. So we can look at death whenever it comes and say, eh, no worries, it's temporary. It's not too serious. It's not my first time. I've been to Easter service. I know how this turns out. The first Christians horrified their Roman neighbors by celebrating at funerals. Roman funerals were tragedies with no relief, mourning and sorrow and endless tears. If you were worried there wouldn't be enough tears at your funeral, you hired actors to bring more tears. That's what death is about. Sort of like a Victorian or Gothic funeral, actually. Christian funerals became parties. Death is here. That must mean life is coming. Sort of like Irish wakes with jokes and stories and drinks and joy. 
death wants to be taken very, very seriously. Don't. It's life that's serious. It's life that wins. We can tell a joke or two. We can relax and sing a song of freedom and even grab one of those tambourines that Miriam is handing out. Some churches that read the Exodus story at Easter have a song they add to it. The chorus sings, Poor son chariot he cast into the sea. Y'all didn't hire me for my singing voice. Then by the end, they add a few more enemies cast into the sea and drowned. Poor son chariot, hate and prejudice, chains and slavery. Poor son chariot, he cast into the sea. Exodus isn't just about the defeat of Egypt. It's about the destruction of all that makes for death and the resurrection of all that makes for life. Friends, Christ is risen. I know you can do better. Christ is risen. And he has made a way where there was no way. Amen. Hallelujah.